Recovery Elevator, episode 472. But there is nothing that life can throw at me where I need to drink to cope with it. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm pumped that you're here with us. On today's show, we have Erin. She's 45, from outside Boston, and has been sober since December 26, 2021. Nice job, Erin. A quick shout out to our chat hosts over in Cafe RE. You guys have been doing an amazing job of supporting the community. Thank you for stewarding that space and taking care of our members. You are the best. Before I get to the intro, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I recently had the opportunity to go to a chat by Liz Gilbert, who is the author of Eat, Pray, Love, and she talked a lot about boundaries and priorities. What would you do if you had extra time in your day? Where are your priorities and how are you protecting them? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator. All right, let's get into it. We've made it to March RE in North Dakota, or the land of six-month winters, we're in the home stretch. I can't complain too much. This has been a super mild winter, but I'm ready for some real warm weather. I've got a peer support training trip to Missouri coming up, followed by a youth leader convention in Florida, and I'm ready to bust out my shorts and get some sun on these pasty legs while I'm traveling. Seriously, it looks like I'm walking around on two big Elmer's glue sticks. The transition out of winter is one of my favorites. It's an awakening, and new life is popping up all over the place. Here at home, it starts with the calves showing up on the farms and ranches that I drive by on my way to and from work. Not long after that, I know I'll start to see some bits of green popping up in the trees, and then the grass starts to come back to life. I intentionally tried to slow down this winter. I took the cue from Mother Nature and paused. No big decisions, no big changes, just a season to reflect on where things are with life. Now, as nature is starting to wake back up, it's time for me to do the same. My awareness of how the seasons affected me didn't really exist when I was drinking. I mean, yes, I knew they changed, I couldn't hide my beer in the garage or leave it in the backseat of my truck in the winter or it'd freeze and explode. And if it was super hot, I'd have to buy more ice to keep in the cooler. I was aware of that, but on a deeper level, I wasn't really paying attention. I was in a constant state of survival, fight or flight 24-7. I didn't really honor that my body and mind needed periods of rest so that I could really flourish when I needed to. I'm grateful to have that awareness today. So I am excited, not just for weather, but for life. There have been some big transitions at my regular job, but I'm ready to face them with a positive outlook. I've also had a chance to receive a lot of training in the past year, and I feel like there's going to be an opportunity to put that into action moving forward. Don't get me wrong. 
Life isn't perfect. Stress hasn't just melted away with the snow, it's still present. But I feel better equipped than ever to confront it with the love and grace that my life deserves. I know that this isn't the case for everyone, and that's okay. Many of you listening are still looking for your day one, or in the early stages of sobriety. In March of 2018, my first spring in sobriety, I sure as hell wasn't braiding wildflowers into my beard and commenting on how cute the calves were. I was finishing the aftercare of my outpatient treatment, wondering if I'd be able to get through the coming months without being in rehab. The nice weather worried me. It was my first time trying to do anything sober on my own. How was I supposed to do it? Lucky for me, I wasn't the first one to try this, and I certainly wasn't alone. I did what I saw the sober people around me do. I followed their example, and I found a way to connect. We always say it here. Everyone's path is a little different. That first spring, I put my head down and got to work. I was tied in with Cafe RE. I was attending in-person AA, and I went to celebrate recovery at a church in my town. I dug into quit lit and self-help literature. I found a connection with God. I started to repair relationships. I listened at all of those meetings to try to pick up on things that might work for me. And when I found myself in conflict, I'd let people know. It was work. There's no two ways about it. But it was rewarding. I started to identify my triggers. I was discovering my why. And I was actually connecting with something bigger than myself. Being a part of recovery community is cool that way. We see the reward in our own growth, but we're also contributing to the growth of the whole as well. I've had the privilege of living and visiting a lot of places in the U.S. The fact remains, though, that I'm a Midwest guy. I grew up here, and it's got a special place in my heart. For most of my life, I've been agriculture adjacent. We didn't farm growing up, but my dad's best friend did. I remember being six or seven, riding in the back of a grain truck on top of the grain while driving from the field to the yard. Before I joined the Air Force, I worked for one of my buddy's dads for the summer, moving cattle, hauling hay, fixing fence, and harvesting. Last spring, even, I got a chance to help a good buddy work a hundred plus head of cattle, and that was a lot of work. I know the analogy might be a bit cliche, but I'm going to lean into it. I feel like my sobriety has a lot of parallels to that life. If you want a healthy crop or a healthy herd, you've got to put in the work on the front end. The benefits are there, even if we can't see them right away. But the seed is in the ground. Properly tended, it's going to yield in ways that we can't even imagine. It's our job, though, to protect it and care for it. Wherever you're at this spring, that's right where you're supposed to be. Where you go from here is up to you. What tools do you have that you're using? What tools aren't you using? Is this a season to pick something up? Or is it one to let some things go? Only you can answer these questions for yourself. The future is bright, though. Hope is the spark, and your action is the fuel to keep it lit. I believe in you, and I'm glad that I'm here with you. There's a whole community of people out there ready to help you tend the seed of your recovery. Many hands make for light work, so lean in. Before we hear from Aaron, let's hear from our sponsor, Go Brewing. Go Brewing is redefining the non-alcoholic craft beer landscape, and we are thrilled to have them as a partner on our podcast. Since launching in 2023, they've become a standout, fulfilling almost 25,000 orders across the U.S. and creating an impressive array of 23 distinct beer varieties. 
their expertise hasn't gone unnoticed. Go Brewing won the gold and silver medals from the prestigious Best of Craft Beer Awards for their innovative brews, Suspended in a Sunbeam Pills, and Sunshine State Tropical Hazy IPA. Innovation is at their core, and they are pushing the boundaries of beer crafting. This includes pioneering gluten-free beer, like their wellness-infused Freedom Chill enriched with ashwagandha and L-theanine. Their latest sensation? A double IPA that's a hit with beer enthusiasts, brimming with mosaic, citra, and Simcoe hops. And here's something special for our listeners. Save 15% off with the code ELEVATOR, plus free two-day shipping on orders of three six-packs or more. That's right, order it today, and in two days, it will be at your doorstep. Go Brewing is more than a brand for many. Their beer is a tool for people who want the experience without the alcohol. If you missed it, you can save 15% off with the code ELEVATOR, plus free two-day shipping on orders of three six-packs or more. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Aaron to the show. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thriving. Thank you. Thriving. Excellent. Excellent verbiage. I love it. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Erin, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? I took my last drink on December 26th, 2021. So my sober date is December 27th, and I just hit the two-year mark, which is an amazing accomplishment. Two years. Fantastic job. A nice belated Christmas present to yourself. How are you feeling with two years? I feel amazing. I feel accomplished. I'm like a whole different person really that's awesome did you uh did you do anything special to celebrate honestly my celebrations lately in the last two years have been food related so <laughs> I'm, I'm here so, for it. um yep so uh on my one year i got myself a little cake i went to the bakery at the grocery store and had them right on the cake for me and um i had someone say oh two years two cakes no <laughs> <laughs> If when three years rolls around, you if you, for what it's worth, if you're looking for an endorsement on three years, three cakes, uh, I support that. Good. I'm glad I have everyone's support. Yeah. Before we get into your story, Erin, can you let us know a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you do for a living, any family you want to tell us about, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Sure. I'm 45. Um, I live in the greater Boston area, about 13 miles outside of the city. Grew up in Connecticut, went to college in New Hampshire, and moved to Massachusetts in 2007. So I've been here for a while. Um, I am a senior paralegal for a large corporation based here in Massachusetts. And I am not married, but I do have an 18-year-old stepdaughter from my previous marriage. And for fun, I love walking. Uh, I love reading. I'm really into podcasts. And most importantly, I work for Rover.com as my side hustle. So I walk dogs and do drop-in visits for dogs and cats. And it just brings me a lot of joy. I I love it. I wish I could do it full-time and support myself, honestly. You know, I've had a couple friends in the last, I don't know, probably like the last three years where I'd never heard of Rover. And I've got one friend in particular where many times she sent me like Marco Polo video messages and she's like, I'm walking this dog. And like, I got to learn about all the like unique and different. And it's, I don't know, it's this weird, interesting glimpse into people's lives. Like they're different animals. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think at first, when I first started, I was fascinated. I'm, I'm kind of nosy, so I was fascinated by going into people's homes and seeing how everyone else lives. And then um, just, you know, getting to know the animals and they bring me so much joy and so much love. And it's just been a, a super positive experience. I've been doing it for about a year and a half now. Very cool. I like that. Well, Aaron, let's do what we came here to do and talk about your journey with alcohol. Maybe start with some early exposure or... or or when you first tested the waters, whatever you think is relevant, and then we'll walk forward together. Okay, sure. Well, I, I grew up in a house where there really wasn't a lot of drinking. I mean, my mom and my stepdad had the Franzia box of white Zinfandel in the refrigerator, and I think, you know, maybe a glass or two on the weekend, and same with my my family, my grandparents. It was more of a special occasion, holidays, that sort of thing. So. I didn't really grow up around alcohol and I I never had a sip of alcohol until I went away to college. And, you know, that just started more out of curiosity as a, you know, in my second semester freshman year, it was like, hey, hey, let's, you know, buy a 30 pack of Bud Light and, you know, just have a party, that kind of thing. So it started off pretty innocently as I think most college kids try to experiment. And and then it, it slowly progressed a little bit until I joined a sorority. And once I joined the sorority, it was like five nights a week at fraternity basement parties and just binge drinking, keg parties, you know, that whole scene. And then, you know, moving on from college, I was married and for a short time. And that was also more of a social drinking situation. You know, we would go out for dinner, have a few drinks, go home. But, you know, we were both working full time and and it really wasn't the focus. And then even into my next relationship, it was more of a social thing. You know, it was after work, going out with friends, maybe sitting on the deck in the summertime on a, on a Saturday and having a couple of drinks and just putting some music on, just very casual. And then I had a pretty bad breakup and, uh, in 2011 and uh, moved into my own apartment. And that was my first time living alone ever. And it was my, you know, early 30s. And... I was working two jobs and putting myself back through college because I didn't finish the first time around. And so I didn't really have a lot of spare time, but I found time to drink uh, somewhere, you know, as we do. And so then I got into another relationship with my second husband and we went out a lot. I mean, it was Sunday, Sundays, watching the patch, you know, and then Uber had come around. So it was a great way to, you know, go out and drink all day and not have to be too responsible because you get a, a sober ride home. So I would say my drinking picked up during that marriage. It was not a great relationship. Uh, there was a lot of verbal abuse and emotional abuse and alcohol became my coping mechanism. My drink of choice has always been wine and uh, never really the hard stuff. And I would just drink because I didn't, I was trying to, you know, numb myself really through that really hard relationship. And I felt like I had no way out. I was financially dependent on my ex-husband and things just kind of spiraled from there. You mentioned before that relationship that, that, that things had, you know, kind of normal, I don't know, like prior to that, kind of some normal, like typical use experimentation in college, typical, you know, really digging in in that sorority scene. And I think that's, you know, I think that's typical for people of that age to kind of step it up. But uh, you had mentioned in 2011, the breakup and then the the ramp up when you're alone in your apartment. 
before entering into this this next relationship you were talking about and i'm curious if when you when you got into that relationship if how much of that relationship was based on on alcohol a lot of it really it was you know he was a very social drinker um and it was for us going out and going to bars was just what we did you know it was really everything we did outside of the home was there was alcohol involved and he was kind of you know, behind closed doors, one person. Um, but when we were out, it was like life of the party and buying rounds for people at the bar and, you know, picking up the tab and that sort of thing. It was like, it was, it was fun until it wasn't, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And that, that can be really hard to reconcile, I would imagine, because I just, I say that knowing that, knowing the type of drinker I was, where I think I was probably as much as it hurts me to say it, I, very much the same when I was out drinking people was like, Oh man, Chris is a lot of fun. He's a good time. And then my, right. my, wife, my wife saw like a much darker version of yeah. me, you know, she's expressed to me like the conflict that that presented her. Cause like, Oh, here's this guy who is this, you know, this cool thing, but also there's like the shitty, like mm-hmm. traveling dark side. And she, I don't know, she couldn't wrap her head around it. And there yeah. the, for on her end, she's expressed that part of that made her question like, is this me? Is this, is this, am I seeing things wrong? Did you, did you ever have to deal mm-hmm. with any of that internally? No, I, I didn't really struggle with that. It was more of, you know, we had so much fun, quote unquote, fun when we were out and then we would come home and I would want to keep drinking. And that's when the fights would start, the arguments between us. It was, you know, and, and I had a lot of anxiety in that relationship and I used the alcohol to, to self-medicate too. So it was just, I just didn't know how to deal with, you know, the arguments and the disagreements. And I would just kind of isolate and drink. And, and that was it. That was, that was how I solved my problems at the time. Gotcha. So we are in early thirties, mm-hmm. tough relationship going on. Uh, let's keep going forward. Yeah. yeah. You know, tough relationship. Like I said, I was financially dependent upon him. I was still working a full-time job and a part-time job. Um, the difference those days being that during my full-time job, I would leave on my lunch break and go to the restaurant down the street and have lunch and have a glass of wine and go back to work and then head to my second job. And I had about an hour and a half between jobs, I would go to the restaurant, sit down, get something to eat, have a drink, go to my second job. And I remember my husband at the time saying to me, why are you even working this second job? You're spending all your money at the bar before you go. What's the point? (laughs) But in my head, it made sense to me. It was like my time, you know, my time to myself. And so eventually, uh, the relationship truly broke down. And I asked for help for my mom. And She was kind enough to basically drop everything um, to help me financially secure my own apartment, um, buy me all new furniture. I mean, I I left the relationship with nothing really besides my clothes. And so my mom helped me get set up, you know, which was a blessing. I'm very grateful to her, but it also kind of brought on this new time for me where I have my own place. I'm living the single life. I hadn't been single in a long time. And I was exploring a new town. There's a lot of great restaurants in my town. So I was walk. I'm, I, I live pretty close to Main Street. So I would walk up and sit at the bar and, you know, have a few drinks and walk myself home and keep drinking. And um, I just, I had nobody to hold me accountable. I was, the, the independence came at a cost. 
at this point had had there ever been any sort of concerns from your family or or you yourself questioning your usage? I think my parents probably did worry. Now they they moved to Florida in 2006. So, you know, I I didn't and I have no family in Massachusetts, so I really wasn't seeing my family very often. My mother has said to me, you know, since I stopped drinking, she says, "Oh, well, we noticed that you were drinking quite a lot when you came to visit us in Florida, but we thought, ah, she's just on vacation. You know, she's in vacation yeah. mode. I said, well, yeah, I said, that was a great excuse to drink, to overdrink. You know, it's like, hey, I'm on vacation. You know, nobody really expressed serious concerns for me, um, to, to me. They, they probably were thinking about it, but nobody approached me and said, hey, you know, are, are you okay? I've noticed you're drinking a lot. But I think it's because I surrounded myself with uh, drinking buddies. I would go out alone to these bars and sit down and eventually you make friends, I'm using air quotes again, friends at the bar. And that's who I spent my time with was other people who were also drinking too much. So it was like a no judgment zone. I think it's pretty typical to find that confirmation bias where where we, I feel like we always have like that one person or a couple people could be like, well, maybe I overindulge, but look at Steve or Amanda. Like what, a, look at the shit they're doing. Like I'm fine because yeah. at, at least I'm not, at least I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Was there anything internal? Like, did you ever have any, any questioning thoughts just w- with yourself, even a family or, or friends didn't notice or, or were commenting? Did you have anything internal that was like, uh, maybe this uh, chill out? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I mean, fortunately, you know, I, I gotten this, the job I'm at now, I started there in December of 2017. So, um, I was still married at the time, but you know, it's, it's an amazing job and I have never drank while working at this job, but I knew that I was drinking too much nights and weekends. I knew I was, I, I mean, I knew I was, I knew I was drinking way more than the average person, way more than most of my friends. And, you know, you see the bank account, you know, I'm pulling money out of my savings account so I can go spend 50 bucks on a Sunday and drink, you know, it's, it, it was glaringly obvious to me, but I think I hit it very well. I was a very high functioning alcoholic, yeah. you know, and because I, because I lived alone, you know, I created the narrative with my coworkers and I created the narrative with my parents who are so far away. You know, I could tell my mom, oh, yeah, you know, I, I went out and had a couple of drinks and came home and just, you know, watched Netflix all day and not take the step further and really tell her what I was really doing. Yeah, yeah that 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 high functioning part of it can keep us mm-hmm. it can it can keep us in it for a long time because that's I feel like society it's shifting. I feel, I see the shift where people, you know, like sober curious is becoming a thing and that like that verbiage Mm -hmm. is, is more recognizable now than it's ever been, I think. But for so long, it's either you're a drinker or you have a problem. And if I'm able to maintain a job, maintain a residence and, and like you said, you know, do some of this work to control that narrative. And if I'm not plummeting into these cliches, I'm not, I'm not a, I don't have a problem problem. So like, it's good. Right. Yeah. I mean, Hey, I, I have a great job. I have, you know, a roof over my head. All my bills are paid. You know, I, I, like I said, very high functioning, but you know, behind the scenes alone with my thoughts, I had a lot of guilt and shame. And that's kind of how I knew I had a problem. It was like, well, you know, I'm feeling really guilty about how much drinking I'm doing. And I am feeling really shameful when I 
bring my recycling bin out to the curb and it's full of wine bottles that's clinking every step of the way. You know, it's like, yeah, I knew something was off. I knew, I knew something was wrong. That is such a, <laughs> it's such a universal thing in this space. <laughs> the idea of yeah. like, we talk a lot about the drinking, right. And, and some of the stuff we do while we're drinking, but I don't know. I wish we had a way to, I mean, we could go back and listen, but keep track of how many people have specifically mentioned either like the recycling bin and the clinking. Like I've heard that many times. And there's like, as soon as you said, I'm like, yep. Or how do I get rid of these cans? I was a big beer drinker and I was drinking like cases a week. It's like, shit, what do I do with the cans? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a thing. There's a lot of listeners who are shaking their head right now. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I've been there. All right. So you got out of that relationship. Luckily you Mm -hmm. had some, you had some support from family. You've settled in, you kind of have this routine of some drinking buddies. You're able to walk, walk to the bar. This is kind of the the situation now. Uh, Let's keep going. Okay. Well, you know, I, this is where I moved here. Let's say it was February, 2019. So, you know, that first summer I was here, I was, like I said, you know, kind of enjoying being single and, and taking myself out and, you know, putting on a cute outfit and, you know, feeling good about myself. And I was able to kind of gain some of my self-confidence that I, I really, you know, that being in that marriage and being with somebody who is verbally and mentally and emotionally abusive, it really takes a toll. I don't, I think it's a lot of people don't, we don't talk about this. Um, you know, you, there's a lot of support groups and, and, you know, publicity behind um, physical abuse. But, you know, sometimes behind closed doors, there's a lot of damage that can be done. And I just, I've always had an issue with my self-esteem and self-confidence, not feeling worthy. Um, You know, a lot of that comes from childhood and I never really got into therapy that I needed. And so I, I ended up, you know, during those couple single years, being in a casual relationship with, with someone else who, turned out to be another narcissist and, and, um, same kind of, you know, pattern, the verbal abuse, the emotional abuse, the, you know, not feeling good about myself and, and, you know, basically feeling like I had to beg someone for attention and and beg someone to see, like, I know I'm a good person and I know I'm a good catch and why can't they see that? And, you know, so I just, you know, there's, I, there's some notes that I put into my notes app on my phone about how I was feeling at the time, right before I decided to make a change in my life. And I get a little emotional when I read this, so forgive me, but I wrote three things down and they are regretting the past, pessimistic about the future and feeling like I'm a failure. And that's, that's really, that kind of sums up how I was feeling you know, after a couple failed divorces, after failing out of college, and and um, now this, you know, new kind of casual relationship that, you know, it just, um, it went sideways. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? You know, why does this keep happening to me? I had very much a victim mentality, you know? Yeah, man, Erin, that's, that's a tough, tough place to be. I can, you know, our stories are, are different, but there's, but there's elements of that, that I can absolutely relate to where, you know, that regret, like, what have I done that has put me here? Mm -hmm. And like, why did I do, why did I do these things? Whether it's relationships, jobs, college, just our activities in general. Yeah. Like that's, that's tough. And, and feeling that pessimism of, of where we're at feeling like there's no hope. Again, again, I think that, I think those ideas can apply to, to many arenas in our life. 
And then that fear of failure, like, like why try for something else? Why try for something different? Whether that's a sobriety relationship, career, education, look at, uh, I mean, look how things have gone so far. So what the hell's the point? Why, like, why, why put myself out there? And uh, alcohol is a great tool to, to keep us in kind of that shit cycle. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it, it was, I hate the, I hate saying this because now that I'm on the other side and I've been sober for a while, I, I can't believe I ever felt this way, but alcohol was my best friend. You know, it was the only thing that understood me, was there for me every day, helped me feel better. Um, and I just got to the point where, and living alone and then COVID, right? I mean, we're, I'm home alone in my apartment every day, working from home alone. Nothing's open besides the liquor store and the grocery store. And I just, my drinking got worse and worse and worse. And I was isolated and it just, it just spiraled really. I mean, it it was bad. I was drinking way too much long before then, but once we were all home, you know, really nobody to hold me accountable. I mean, at least when I was in the office, I was sober from 730 to 530, you know? So yeah. And I think that's, I think a lot of people, I think it's very common from, from what I gather. Yeah. I think you make an incredibly strong point is that first that like alcohol absolutely is a relationship. One of the first things when I went to treatment that they, that they had us do is like write that breakup letter to alcohol or that, that, what did they, what did they call it? The dear John letter. Anyway. And that, that concept was, I'm like, what are you talking about? Relationship with alcohol is cans of beer. It's fine. But yeah, we, it's that thing. Like until we, it's another toxic relationship, but until we, yeah. Until until we can see that, until we hit that kind of acute point of suffering to where we can see it, which is different for yeah. all of us. It's, I think you said it perfectly. It gives us what we want. It gives us that peace. It kind of, it's, it's that warm blanket in the rest, in the rest of the suffering. We don't, again, caveat here, like we don't see all the shit that it's doing in our life. Right. But we want to hold on to it because it, the pain from these other arenas can get subsided. Or numbed out a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. COVID was tough because then that's the only relationship we're left with. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no human contact. No, you know, hugs at the end of a hard day. No, you know, even just to go to the mall and shop around and people watch. I mean, you know, none of it. I was stuck here by myself day in and day out. And um, I know I wasn't alone. And it was just like, well, there's nothing else to do. I guess I'm just going to drink, you know, it <laughs> It's just another, it gave me another great excuse to drink and drink heavily. It was like, well, everyone else is drinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That all checks out. Well, let's, let's keep going forward, Aaron. So we're full COVID. Mm-hmm. The world's on fire. We've got groceries and groceries and liquor. Yeah. Walk, us, walk us forward from there. Well, I, uh, in April of 2021, my company offered that, if you wanted to go back into the office a couple days a week, you could. They would assign you a private office to sit in where you could shut the door and take your mask off. And I appealed to my um, or approached my boss at the time. And I said, listen, for my own mental health, I need to, I need to get out of this house. I am not doing well. Um, this was April 2021. So about you know, eight months before I, I quit drinking. So that helped a little bit. You know, it got me, you know, to take a shower and put real clothes on and blow dry my hair. 
and go to the office and be productive for the day and, and not come home and drink. And so that worked for a little while. That, that helped me, you know, and I just, I really never saw a future for myself, you know, not drinking. I just, I, I didn't know anybody who was sober. I, you know, and I just didn't know any other way. You know, I tried to moderate. It never worked. You know, I'd say, cause I'm just, I'm an all or nothing person. I've learned my, uh, I've learned about that about myself. I, once I flip that switch on, there's no off switch for me. If I'm, if I'm take one drink, I'm taking 10. So I, I would say, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to drink during the week. Okay. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I wouldn't drink Thursday. Well, it's Thursday, thirsty Thursday, you know, and then Close I'd be enough. drinking Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be drinking Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then you wake up, you know, with, you do, you got the whole Sunday scary thing going on. And so I tried that for a little while and I finally just kind of just got to this low, low point. December is a hard month for me historically. I have a lot of, you know, like my grandmother passed away in December and my divorce date was December and my birthday's in December and like Christmas, the holidays, the pressure, the, you know, the, the craziness, everyone's rushing around and I just don't love December. And I was at a really, really low point. I mean, to, to the point of, I just didn't want to go on anymore. I just didn't see any hope for myself. I, I didn't love life. I, you know, I just, I just didn't see a way out. I was, I felt like I was being buried alive with it really, you know, mm-hmm. suffocating from it. And about two months before my cousin, who is more like a brother to me, he approached me because he quit drinking in September of 2021. And so he, he started talking to me. I didn't really know what was going on with him. I knew he had stopped drinking, but I didn't know how serious he was about it, you know? And he started talking to me and like right around Thanksgiving of 2021 and said, Hey, I got like 60 days under my belt. I feel really good. And, you know, I, I think you should think about this. I, I want this for you. I, I know how much you're suffering. I want you to feel as good as I feel and you deserve it, you know? And so I was like, yeah, I don't know. Let me just, I'll just get through the holidays. Let me just enjoy the holidays, you know, which I think is a very common thing to say. You know, who quits drinking at the holidays, right? Um, <laughs> Badasses. And so, yeah. So, so what I did was, I was, so I guess, you know, sober curious, you hear that term a lot. I was kind of like, you know, he got me, he got me listening to Recovery Elevator. And yeah, I had listened to a couple episodes and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm not alone in the world. I guess a lot of people feel the way I feel. Okay. And and then I committed to doing dry January. So right before I right before dry January, Christmas Day, I got COVID 2021. So that my last drink was on December 26, 2021. And I was just so sick. I didn't even feel like drinking. I was just, I, I think most of us have had COVID now to different, you know, degrees. And I was just so sick. The alcohol was like the furthest thing from my mind. And and then I committed to dry January and I did that with a girlfriend of mine. And, you know, that's, that's it. The rest is history. I just, I felt so good at the end of January that I was like, I'm going to just keep this going. You know, one more day, one more day, one more day. And, and that's it. I never had any intention of quitting drinking forever. I never saw that as an option. I didn't think it was a possibility for me. Um, because I relied so heavily on the alcohol to get me through every single day to to sleep, just to sleep, you know? I mean, it's, I was very dependent on it, and I didn't realize how much I was depending on it until I had a little bit of time under my belt. And, and only then, 
I kind of came out of the brain fog and started to have that self-awareness that we all have, you know, after you've had some time away from the alcohol, it's out of your system. It's like you wake up every day and you're like, oh, it feels good not to be hungover. You know, it's, oh, okay, I'm, I'm doing better at work. And I'm, it's just all the things, you know, all the things. But I, I was at a really, really low point in my life. Very low, very low. And nobody knew. Nobody knew. I didn't tell anybody besides my cousin. My mom didn't know. My friends didn't know. My coworkers didn't know. Nobody. You know, it sounds like that timing. Uh, I'm very grateful, very grateful for your cousin, which I, I'm sure, I'm sure you are as well. But it sounds like that oh, yeah. timing was just right for him. And, uh, you know, th- hearing you describe that situation, the situation that you were in before the conversation that, that you had with him, again, I think for me, that's incredibly relatable. Like I didn't really know anybody who was doing sober life. Like I would see people who didn't have the same problems, at least, at least that I could see the same Mm -hmm. problems, you know, that people that weren't having that same conflict that I was, that I felt like I was having internally. And I I was on an Island. I felt like I was on an Island and to have someone approach you and, and talk about it in a positive way. Like what a, what a blessing. And I was wondering, yeah. when you said you had committed to dry January, I was like, holy shit, like you started before New Year's? Well, you know, there's blessings and everything, right? Even even <laughs> through getting COVID, like a blessing that you got to start a little early. Probably didn't feel that way, you. but. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. It's like, you know, and I started the first day that I felt like a normal person again was New Year's Eve. And the girl, my friend who. I committed to doing dry January with, she's like, it's New Year's Eve. It's our last night to drink. Do you want to go out? And I was like, hell no. I'm like, I already have like five sober days. I'm not giving those up, you know? So I, that's, yeah, that's it. You know? <laughs> I love it. You know? And then yeah. the other thing you mentioned was uh, just something that we just, like, we don't even see the fear, the fear of the fear of getting sober keeps us mm-hmm. from, from even imagining some of the just very like foundational positives, like not being hung over, not feeling like shit, like being able to perform better at our job and in our relationships. Like those are some very like simple things that we yeah. don't even, that we don't even anticipate. I want to talk about that, that first 30, 60, 90 days. What were, mm-hmm. what were some of the challenges that you had and maybe some resources that you used to, to, to overcome those? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, in the, in the first three months that I had stopped drinking, I was still going to my bar, of, you know, my bar, my, my local bar, I was still going and I would sit at the bar and my favorite bartender would slice up a whole lemon and put a plate of lemon slices in front of me and just keep refilling my water. Um, but those were my, my friends, right? That was my comfort zone. It was a familiar place. It was familiar people. But you know, I started to notice that as the hours ticked by, these people just grew more and more miserable and sad and depressed and angry and confrontational. And I was like, I started to get uncomfortable sitting there. I was like, you know, this is probably not the best idea, Erin, you know. So I started to walk more, you know, it was getting nicer out at that point. And, you know, here in New England, you know, March, April, it's like you finally start to see some hope. So you know, I had a lot of anxiety. And every time I felt like, oh my God, like I could really go for a drink right now. I would put my sneakers on and get my ass outside and, and walk. You know, I was listening to Recovery Elevator. I was using the 
recovery elevator app where it was counting my days and counting how much money I had saved and counting the calories I had saved. And I was like, oh, wow, like, look at me, look at me go, you know? And I think I started to have a little faith in myself and I started to see people celebrate me. And it gave me the confidence boost, I think, that I really needed, you know, just the, the praise that I was looking for. Like, finally, Erin, you're finally doing something right. You know, you've, you've got this, you're doing it, you're doing it. And no, I started getting into some different podcasts, exploring my spirituality a little bit. I, I got into therapy, shout out to betterhelp.com, you know, got into some much needed therapy and have been weekly uh, for a while now, about a year and a half now. And um, yeah, just started to dig into what makes me, me, why, you know, what happened in my childhood and throughout my life that made me seek out these relationships that failed, you know, why am I picking this specific kind of partner and really dig into my self-worth and my abandonment issues, my codependency. And just, you know, I just, I really did the work. I did the, I'm doing the inner work and it's, it's every day, you know? That's so cool. So, so cool. You know, when that veil is when that veil is lifted, you know, we don't see all the things that the alcohol alcohol is covering up and keeping us from. And like some of those things that you mentioned are hard, like to figure out mm -hmm. what spirituality means to us can be challenging and scary. And it, I mean, that's, that's a big thing to look at or to, to take a look back on our lives and, and try to understand some of those, some of those things that, that have motivated the decisions that we've, that we've made. That's big work to dig into. And I'm, I'm just incredibly proud of you and like grateful for your sobriety that it's, that it's positioned you to where, where you've been able to. Yeah. I can't get enough of it now, honestly. I mean, there's a couple, you know, um, resources I did want to mention, which is um, if you are codependent, like I am, um, you know, there's a book called the human magnet syndrome by Ross Rosenberg. He, he also has a podcast that kind of explained a lot about, you know, what makes me tick, um, what codependency means, and, you know, how I am drawn to a narcissistic personality. And it was like once I, and then I also was listening to, um, there's a podcast called Narcissistic Abuse and Trauma Recovery um, with Caroline Struff. And, and it really helped me recognize, you know, now I know what to look for, right? In my next relationship. Now I, I see all these things that she talks about, you know, with, um, with narcissists, which is a term that gets thrown around a lot lately, but, um, you know, it kind of opened my eyes and I'm like, okay, now I know what to look for. Now, now when I see this, it's a huge red flag. Right. And I, and I, and I know now, you know, how to not put myself in those situations and those relationships again, you know, I can very confidently say, at the first red flag, I'm out. I'm you know, breaking the pattern, breaking the cycle, you know, and learning what about myself makes me um, attracted to that type of person, you know? Yeah. So, and I, you know, taking take charge of my health is another thing. You know, I, I like I said, I, I walk a lot. Um, I started doing intermittent fasting. I started a keto lifestyle. Um, just all good things have happened. You know, I got promoted at work. I'm having better conversations with my friends and my family. Um, I'm keep my circle really small. I dropped all my drinking buddies that I thought were friends, learning to love myself and, you know, repairing some relationships um, along the way too, which is huge. I love it. I'd love hearing about the positives and I love yeah. hearing about people like you who 
again, like I, I just, it's, it's so important for me to, to just drive home to people. Like some of this is hard, like it's incredibly rewarding. It's also challenging, but to mm-hmm. see people like you who are, you know, it started with a dry January and like, yeah. look at all the kick-ass stuff that you're doing now, you're just examining yeah. different areas of your life and just finding ways mental, physical, spiritual, to just be like, Hey, like I want better. I deserve better. And you know, I, when you were talking about the conversation you had with your cousin, I wrote it on my little note sheet here. Um, you said that he told you that you deserve it and yeah, 100% Aaron, you do deserve it. And our listeners, like wherever you are, if you're in that curiosity stage, that exploration stage, if you've been sober and maybe you're having a tough day, or maybe you're on the top of the mountain right now, Listeners, like you deserve it too. We all do. And mm-hmm. and I just love hearing all the doors that have been open for you. And 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 it's it's not like any of that was given to you necessarily. Like you had such a huge hand, like you've done this. And like I'm mm-hmm. super, super proud of you and just excited for you. And like what's to come? Like you're two years in. What's I mean, there's it's still coming, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, you know, I feel I have I'll back up a little bit with, um, you know, my parents got divorced when I was four years old and, and I never had a relationship with my biological father um, my whole life. Um, that played a big part in a lot of my emotional struggles. And um, I reconnected with him in 2016. And, um, you know, he unfortunately passed away very quickly in July of this year, 2023. And um, he was living out in Indiana. And I, I came home from that trip and I walked into my house and I put my bags down and I realized that there is nothing that life can throw at me where I need to drink to cope with it. And, you know, that's 19 months in, 19 months sober is the first time I said to myself, you're done. You're done forever. This is your life now. You're going to be sober. And that's it. You know, it was a very pivotal moment. Yeah. Very pivotal. But again, I mean, you know, I think the mistake a lot of people make that I hear when they try to stop drinking is, well, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm never going to have a drink again. It's like, you know, I, it's that whole one day at a time mentality. It's like, just, just slow down, slow down, take a step back. And you know, it, yeah. Yeah. We've got the rest of our lives, whatever, whatever that time frame is, but yeah, we can just yeah. do it. We can just do it for today. You know, it's a, um, it's not a punishment. It's a, like, it's a gift. It's, it's sounds cliche. Oh, yeah. I know it, but yeah. it, it's not, it's not a punishment. It's a gift. And what an amazing mm-hmm. gift you've given to yourself. Yeah. I, it's it's the best gift you can give to yourself. And it's a, it's the best, just the best way to love yourself is, you know, to, to treat yourself well, you know, take care of yourself, you know, yeah. physically, mentally, you know. Nice work, sister. Aaron, we have, if you can believe it, reached the rapid fire round seems like we just started but here we are Uh, ask you some questions and ask you to answer them in 30 to 60 seconds are you ready yes i'll do my best all right what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking my biggest fear was absolutely being alone with my thoughts instead of numbing them out yep that's a good one what is a positive that you did not expect in a life without alcohol? Well, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, not being embarrassed every time I take my recycling bin out to the curb now. I have no shame. And I, I didn't expect the self-awareness 
I mean, it's amazing. I, I really, I've never felt more in tune and in touch with myself as I do now. Very cool. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Um, I love a good seltzer. Um, I like the bubbly lime flavor when I throw a little fresh lime in it with it, a little lime wedge in with it. And then I've also been really big into the um, element packets, the salt and magnesium packets. So you mix it with your water. I'm really into those lately. I'm on an auto subscription now for those. I'm committed. <laughs> <laughs> She's into it. You know, and throwing a little fresh fruit. I'm just, I don't want to break the routine here, but throwing a little fresh fruit in a sparkly water is like a, it's like a next level thing that like I'm all, I'm oh, I feel all very, about it. I feel very classy when I put some fresh lime in myself there. Very classy. Yeah. Throw that pinky out. It's all good. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite resource in recovery? And you know, you've listed a, a, a couple already. You can talk about one of those again. If this can be a book, a podcast, an app, a community, uh, anything that has yeah. been great for you. Well, I, I love the Recovery Elevator podcast. So refreshing, maybe that's the wrong word, to hear that there are other people like me out there that have had similar struggles um, and have come out the other side of this and have been successful. It, it, you know, it is possible. And then the, the counter, you know, to count my days and see how well I'm doing and how many days I have stacked up is a huge motivator. And also I, I've been listening to and watching um, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Uh, I would consider him my, my spiritual mentor. You know, he's um, he has a lot of um, podcasts and he has a lot of YouTube videos. He has, you know, three hour meditations, sleep meditations. Um, so Wayne Dyer is another good resource. I know this is your rapid fire, but one of my favorite things, I'm going to throw this in there. It, maybe you've seen it. There's uh, a series. These guys were out in Hawaii. It was Wayne Dyer, Eckhart Tolle, Ram Dass, mm -hmm. Jack Kornfeld might have been out there. I think they, I want to say they were in Hawaii and there's some, some stuff on YouTube that is just like those guys together on a stage. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it probably was Hawaii because Wayne was, lived in Maui. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Very cool guy. Cool group of yeah. Cool group of men. Definitely. All right, back to your questions, Chris. Chris, stop <laughs> answering. Uh, what is your plan in sobriety moving forward? I guess. Uh, well to take things one day at a time, to continue to surround myself with people who support me and support my journey, to continue therapy, absolutely, no questions. Um, I think everybody should be in therapy. And just to continue to have more open, honest conversations with people and to burn the ship. And, you know, uh, just, just take things one day at a time, like I said. I love it. And last, Aaron, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. Yeah, uh, you might need to ditch the booze if you can no longer keep any food down because your heartburn is so bad and you are popping tums like Tic Tacs just so you can keep drinking. Could be a sign. Yeah, yeah, big time. Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your story. And like you said, thanks for burning these ships today. Fantastic job. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate your time too. Yeah. Thank you, sister. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Aaron, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. I talked about spring in the intro, and I want to hear from you. What are you looking forward to this spring? Is there something that you're worried about? 
Do you have a plan to work through? Do you feel something different this year compared to years past? Let us know. Shoot me an email at chris, that's K-R-I-S, at recoveryelevator.com and let me know what this spring has in store for you or what you hope to see from it. I believe in you and I know that you can do amazing things. I hope that you can receive that and that you believe in yourself too. You deserve it. We might as well go big, RE, because eventually we all go home. I love you guys.